0: Little girls fall in love with their daddies around four or five years old. They are the apple of daddy's eye. And it's the male's responsibility, the adult male's responsibility to steward that young girl into womanhood. And, and oftentimes males are horribly unequipped for that for a whole host of reasons in our culture. So this becomes a repetition, compulsion, if you will, you know, always looking for someone to save us, like someday my prince will come, somebody will love me. In this fantasy world that we live in, hoping that someone's going to come scoop us up. And when you're four and five years old, someone should come scoop you up. But when you are 25, 30, 35, no one's coming. And that's when we start to see that, oh my gosh, I have to find a way to reparent myself and heal this wound and deal with my grief and loss so that I can choose a man who actually really can be there for me.
1: This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 356 with guest Alexandra Katahakis.
2: This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen. A no-B.S. guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass.
1: And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Welcome to Get I am so glad that you are here. We are diving into a topic today that is personal to me, and I have a feeling there's a lot of you out there who might also struggle with this, the topic that our expert is uh, so well-versed on and has spent much of her career studying this and and treating people with love and sex addiction. And uh, it's one of those topics where when it comes up, Or when I write about it, I get a lot of feedback where people either say, for sure, this is something that I struggle with and I want to work on it more, or people have never heard of it, that it is a real addiction. They hear about the symptoms and they are like, oh my gosh, I can relate so much. That is very much me. The first time I heard about love addiction was in 2007, early 2007. And I read the book Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody, and it was one of those books where I am looking around, side-eyeing, thinking, how did this woman sneak into my life and spy on me? I felt like she had written a book about me. And I know some of you have said that about how to stop feeling like shit, (laughs) we just start to pay attention. And I'm excited for Dr. Catahakis to come on and talk to you, and for you to hear this conversation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read. Her, I'm gonna do something a little different here. I'm gonna read her bio, and then I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this conversation. All right, Alexandra Catahakis, PhD, LMFT, is founder and clinical director of the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles and faculty for the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. She is a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor. Dr. Katahakis' most recent books include Sexual Reflections, a workbook for designing and celebrating your sexual health plan, Sex Addiction as Affect Dysregulation, A neurobiologically informed holistic treatment and mirror of intimacy, daily reflections on emotional and erotic intelligence. Okay. (laughs) I know that's a lot. And Dr. Alex, she also, you know, trains professionals and therapists and please understand this conversation is for the layperson it, it, we don't get too clinical in here and i feel like it's it really is one of those things where a lot of people fall somewhere on the spectrum of love addiction so maybe it's not something that is negatively affecting your life to the point where you need to seek treatment But it is something to look at in terms of some unhealthy coping mechanisms because it is similar to when people have a – not so great relationship with food. Food is one of those things that we all have to deal with. We all have to consume food. And love is the same thing. We need it to survive. We are in relationships with people. And sometimes, depending on our past, depending on you know how we create coping mechanisms in our lives, depending on if we're codependent or not, if we have those types of tendencies, we can Kind of go on to the behaviors of love addiction. And again, it might not be one of those things where you need to seek treatment or 12 step programs about it. You know, we will talk about this in the conversation, but I think it's something to be aware of. You might want to pick up one of her books or attend the workshop that she mentions at the very end of this program. I am. I'm not an affiliate for it or anything like that. I don't get any kind of kickback. I just really believe in her work. She came highly recommended to me from a couple of my colleagues, at her um, Center for com. That's where, where she's at. And I'm just'm excited for you to hear this conversation. All right, so without further ado, here is Dr. Alexandra Katahakis. <laughs> Hello, Alex. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you for having me, Andrea.
1: I was telling you before we started recording that I, I can't remember who it was to give them credit that said you have to have her on your show, but I went to your website and immediately knew I had to have you on because I personally have struggled. You know, for selfish reasons, <laughs> I want to talk to you, but I personally have struggled with love addiction in my life, and I'm I'm always anxious to talk to people who specialize in this particular. Um, addiction because I think that it's, it's something that's a, and you tell me it's a little more pervasive than I think a lot of us realize. So can we start Mm -hmm. there? Like what, how do you meet someone and they, and you say what you do, what is, what is a love addict?
0: I want to go back to what you just said when you said, quote, for selfish reasons, Mm -hmm. I think all of us who are interested in personal growth and development, um, psychology, whether we're coaches or therapists like myself, we all come by our work honestly And so we all struggle with these issues one way or the other. And um, I think that um, is—it's important that when people work with therapists or coaches, they work with people who have gone the distance themselves. Mm -hmm. That they're not just reading a book. They're saying, "Hey, I've been there. I know what that's like. So I know how to get you out of it, Um, or at least give you a flashlight and a map." Mm -hmm. Um, So to answer your question, you know, what is love addiction? Um, I think a simple way to think about it is that it's a problematic relationship with a mood-altering experience. And I would point people to the work of Dr. Helen Fisher, who wrote a book called Why We Love. And in that book, she talks about the neurochemistry of love. And she really sort of very clearly and directly states that love can 100% be an addiction because it's nature's way of forming and forging us into a love relationship. Um, Our our serotonin levels go down when we start to fall in love and our dopamine levels go up. And that's what creates that obsessive quality of what is he doing? What is he thinking? What should I wear? Should I call him? Shouldn't I call Mm -hmm. him? Um, And that is sort of the glue that brings us together. The sex is super hot and excitatory. And that lasts, um, I think in her studies, for anywhere from two to four years, which is the amount of time that we need evolutionarily to come together to have a child and to stick together Mm -hmm. for the birth and the nurturing of that child till that child can stand literally on its own two feet at four years old. The problem with love addiction is that the love addict keeps chasing that high, Mm -hmm. that when that limerence starts to wear off, which again is natural, and we start to move more into the attachment, the familial, the deeper intimacy relationship over time, love addicts get scared or freaked out, they get bored, they can't tolerate the close-in vulnerability, so they will leave that relationship or start looking for flaws or pick people that are horribly unavailable and then go back to the fantasy all over again. Yeah. And they live in that fantasy world, which is really dissociative. It is not a present state of being.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: that's my long-winded answer. Oh No,
1: and it's very helpful to to map that out. And I, mm-hmm. I think, and I speak from some experience and a misconception. So when I had my own awakening and realized that I was a love addict, it was the mid-2000s. And what was told to me was go find some 12-step meetings. And mm-hmm. back then, I don't know if it was just in my area or if this was the way it was everywhere, it was the sex and love addicts was combined. So it was the the yeah. SLA meetings, S-L-A-A. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, and they were also co-ed, I didn't find there weren't any women's meetings around me. And I remember thinking the last thing I need is to be in a room with men who are sex and love addicts. So I am kind of mm-hmm. glad I had the wherewithal <laughs> to stay away because I wasn't ready, I think, to right. to be able to compartmentalize to distance myself from those types of, of addicts. So can you tell us like what the difference is between, you know, symptomatically what sex addict and love addict and this might be a loaded question and the difference that it looks like in men and women.
0: Sure. Well, I think um, we have to really carefully consider that sex and love addiction for women are sort of flip sides of the same coin. And that's what all the female experts in the country say. Um, I have the privilege of co-writing uh, or co-authoring a book with a group of 10 women, women around the country uh, for therapists about how to treat female sex and love addicts. That book is called Making Advances, if there are any therapists listening. Mm-hmm. And I, um, these women had been around for a long time, many of whom identified as sex and love addicts, and they were all insistent that it's both and. Now, there's a there's a woman named Charlotte Castle who wrote the original book for female sex and love addicts called Sex, Love and Addiction. I think it came out in the like seventies or eighties. We've
1: heard of that one.
0: Yeah. And she posits something that's really struck me. She says that women tend to be sexually codependent. In other words, women will have sex in order to get love, mm-hmm. not because they're dying for the sex. Um, a lot of female sex and love addicts don't even like sex because they're not in their bodies. They're not connected. They'll do it because they think that's what men want and they'll do it to get the man. And so that's where the sexual piece comes into play. And so like with any 12-step program, people have to translate what's true for them. There's even an adage that you take what you need and you leave the rest. You go without judgment. In most sex and love addicts anonymous meetings, the women and the men are separated from each other. Um, and all of the direction is you get a female sponsor, you call females, you don't interact with the men in the rooms. You don't start trolling or going into fantasy about the guys mm-hmm. in the rooms, you really stick with the women. And most female sex and love addicts have a lot of difficulty with women. Uh, because they have, as my good friend and colleague, Kelly McDaniel says, she wrote the book called Ready to Heal, women struggle with the concept she's coined mother hunger, which is really about the early attachment breaches between mother and infant. And then later when girls um, are either enmeshed with their mothers or their mothers aren't emotionally available to them. And so they don't trust women. Um, and women in their addiction tend to backstab their girlfriends. They have sex with their husbands or boyfriends, or, um, they sort of abandon their girlfriends. Like if you and I had plans for a movie and I got a call and a guy wanted to see me instead, I would ditch you and Mm -hmm. go hook up with him. Mm -hmm. And so learning to be in relationship with women, to start to trust women, connects women back to their own femininity, so it's crucial that women find a community of other females to heal with, even though it can be super challenging.
1: Wow. Okay, I'm I'm having a moment over here. I'm having a lot of light bulb moments, and I I also wanted to uh, to just ask. So it sounds like that's mostly in heterosexual women that you're talking about. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. For
0: a gay, a lesbian female going into a room full of females. It's going to be triggering, um, but she would have to stay away from the other lesbian love addicts in the room mm. um, and find a uh, sponsor that's you know one hundred percent hetero, not interested in women, um, so that the relationship doesn't get messy. Okay.
1: Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. Uh, I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. I, again, I'm like a little bit of a loss for <laughs> words. I always know that when I'm talking to an expert on something that there's still a little bit of work for me to do when my stomach starts to clench a little bit. I listen to my uh-huh. body and I'm like, okay. Uh, I've been talking about in some other podcast episodes. I have, I have a new therapist. When COVID happened, I think you know. Aww. With many people, we were faced with our our stuff and may- maybe any unresolved business, myself yeah. included, and um, have been doing some trauma therapy. And it's I don't think it's any coincidence that the guests I have on the show are <laughs> holding mm. up a mirror to me in my own <laughs> my sure. own. Stuff. And, um, what do you in your in your experience? What another loaded question? What tends to be the root cause of love addiction for women? For women <laughs> well- specifically.
0: Okay. Well, according to Pia Melody, who wrote a famous book called Facing Love Addiction. That was my first.
1: That was my very first. I felt like she was writing about my life when I read that. Yeah. And anyone
0: who's listening to this, who's thinking, I think I'm a love addict, should read that book because it's so eye-opening. But Pia you know, posited early on that when girls, young girls, um, and again, we're talking about heterosexual females, are abandoned by their fathers, whether it's um, emotional or literal abandonment by their fathers, they're going to be love addicted to men. Um, because our opposite sex relationship, or if you're gay or lesbian, our first same sex relationship are our mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And we fall in love with them as it is nature's way. Little girls fall in love with their daddies around four or five years old, and they are the apple of daddy's eye. And it's the male's responsibility, the adult male's responsibility, to steward that young girl into womanhood. And and oftentimes males are horribly unequipped for that, for a whole host of reasons in our culture. And so when that man leaves her, you know, when parents get divorced, children think it's their fault. So a little girl is going to have the experience of loss, of grief, of there's something wrong with me, or he didn't love me enough, or I wasn't lovable. And she's going to be seeking that love over and over and over again. And these are adaptive strategies in the brain and in the nervous system. It's not just our psychology. It becomes our neurobiology. And so this becomes a repetition, compulsion, if you will you know always looking for someone to save us like someday my prince will come somebody will love me um, and it's it's this sort of um, this fantasy world that we live in hoping that someone's gonna come scoop us up and when you're four and five years old someone should come scoop you up mm-hmm. but when you are 25 30 35 no one's coming mm-hmm. and that's when we start to see that oh my gosh, I have to find a way to reparent myself and heal this wound and deal with my grief and loss so that I can choose a man who actually really can be there for me, as opposed to all the bad boys, all the sex addicts who are completely love avoidant, you know, and cheating or looking elsewhere, which replicates the original, you know, loss of the father, abandonment of
1: the father. Mm -hmm. I I think one of the things in in Pia Melody's book that you were just you were just talking about is um, she has the cycle in there where she talks about yes. the love addict and the love avoidant and um, and just an exact and she talks about some behaviors and it's it's you know short behaviors that she's describing and I remember seeing that and just I think I probably threw the book across the room you know <laughs> just like <laughs> yes. oh my god <laughs> that's <It's>, not uncommon <laughs> and, and it's you said something that I think is so much to unpack about what you have to do in order to heal, which was my next question. You said, Mm -hmm. um, you know, deal with the grief and loss and learn how to parent yourself. So are those two of the major commonalities that you work on with clients?
0: Yeah, I mean, the challenge with women, especially because we are so uniquely wired different than men. You know, we love to love and we want to be in relationship and we need relationship. Again, this is not some, you know, anti-feminist submissive thing that I'm saying. It's, to, these are just evolutionary and biological directives is to mate, whether we want children or not. Um, we still want a mate. There, there comes a point where, We have to recognize that we are hurting ourselves. And so we have to go through the withdrawal of not having a relationship. And that's really the challenge. And that, in Pia's model that you described, that she illustrates in that book, the love addicts will only get into treatment when, in this tiny little window, when they've broken up with somebody. And they haven't tried to get back into that relationship, nor have they replaced it. There's a moment of abject pain, and that is the green light to get into therapy. Um, But without going into that withdrawal process, by always having some guy on the side, it makes it very difficult for women to heal and get better. And so it's about going into the abyss, going into the pain and the darkness, which is much less painful over time than repeating the same thing over and over again. You kind of have to pick your pain. Mm-hmm. It's the momentary pain of being alone and lonely and going through withdrawal so that you can get better, or the pain of continuing to cycle through men and being left alone and you know waking up when you're 40, 50, 60, and never having had um, a securely functioning relationship
1: Yeah. I, my, my experience was a, was a little bit different and I and I want to say it out loud, you know, for people who might have been symptomatic in their love addiction and, and maybe maybe you're in a situation like me. So my love addiction, I mean, I can tell you exactly when it started. You know, my father didn't leave us, but emotionally once I hit puberty and became a teenager, like 13, 14 was when we sort of separated and I think he didn't know how to... Um, to to parents, yeah. right? It just and he did the same thing to my to my older sister, my older half sister, um, and I immediately went into boys and my social life. And you know he was always around. We still had a decent relationship, but it was very different than it was when I was younger. So it, co- I was codependent. I was love addicted. And then when I got in my later twenties, and that's when the relationships became toxic and abusive. And then when I went to the meadows, like I said started to heal from that, did end up going to 12-step meetings for codependence, which was enormously helpful. So mm-hmm. I stopped my symptoms. I stopped chasing relationships. I stopped um, having sex that I didn't really want to have sex just you know, as a power play, like you were talking about, as a, right. as a means of control, and um, was pretty proud of myself and thought, okay, like this is better. I'm not symptomatic anymore. And then my drinking picked up my alcohol mm-hmm. levels jump and i was remarried and i was in this better relationship there was no chaos there was no drama and was a new mom and realized fairly quickly on in my active alcoholism that i needed to quit so again went to um aa at that time saved my life got sober and that's when the healing started that i Probably should have looked at before that I had never looked at like the real recovery, and that's why Mm -hmm. I always tell people like there's a big difference between sobriety and actual recovery. So I didn't actually start to recover until I was already remarried, and my my new therapist pointed that out, and she was like, "You got into this new relationship fairly quickly," and I was like, "Well, you know, I was still I was still love addicted, you know, I still." Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I I say all that to give people hope that you can be in a relationship and still heal your stuff is that do you do you see that yes okay
0: oh 100% i mean one of the um most healing things we can do is get into a securely functioning relationship and you know i always say to people therapists can only take you so far at some point you have to get into relationship with someone you have to have sex with someone you have to see how you behave what comes up for you all of that and You know, I love that you told me that your listeners are really interested in self-help and personal growth and development. And it's instructive what you're saying is that oftentimes symptom reduction is a relief in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And you should have been proud of yourself and you did do the right thing, but we don't know what we don't know. And if we're really seekers, if we're on a path of self-awareness to heal ourselves and ultimately heal the planet, then the work is never done. It is recursive. That's why Freud used the metaphor of the onion. There's always another layer to look at and to say, oh my God, mm-hmm. there's that pattern. Yeah. There's that thing that I do. And it's not as bad as it used to be. And the truth is, it may never go away. But having the awareness of that's how my brain and nervous system were wired and I can take contrary action, as they say in the program, is sometimes as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our learning, our personal growth and development just never it never ends if we're paying attention
1: put that on a t-shirt and sell it yeah it never ends if you're paying <laughs> right. attention I, I 100% agree with that for for me one example of what that looks like is i recognize when my brain lights up when i see old symptoms so last night i was mm-hmm. watching the sh- um the the series normal people on hulu i'm only a couple uh-huh. episodes in it's this irish show and these two kids are high schoolers and they're in love and there's this one episode where they have sex for the first time and they must have sex like three or four different times in different places and i was remembering my high school boyfriend and like mm. that we had that and i was like oh, like my brain was just having a party and i i caught myself and and i thought oh there i am you know and like And sort of surrendered to it and also realized that that's okay. Like that old part of me, that old pattern though, was like, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if I should message him on Facebook and tell him to watch the show and that it reminded me of him. And my logical self said, no.
0: (laughs) Right. Because I'm not 17 anymore. (laughs) Right. And 15, what a beautiful yeah. <laughs> thing. Okay. 15. What a beautiful thing that I got to have that experience mm-hmm. at 15, but to be in reality that I'm not 15, I'm 40. Right. I'm 45. Well, yeah. <laughs> right, whatever. Whatever our age is, that I'm an adult now. I have a child. I have a responsibilities. And I think that pull is so great. And our culture supports that of being perennially young and sexy and -hmm. and all of that. And if we don't really sort of grieve our losses and march forward with dignity, um, we end up really missing life, I think.
1: And, yeah, so, and we're engaging in those old patterns that we think are yes. gonna like, you know, because COVID sucks right now and I want some relief. It does suck. And right. <laughs> and I and I, I have to be really careful and and just and also sometimes if the pull is really hard, ask myself, what is it that I'm really wanting right now? Like, do I need someone exactly. to pay attention to me? Do I need yeah. a hug? Do I need right. carbs? Like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with EARNIN. EARNIN is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work. Up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the EARNIN app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like: When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnincom slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? I mean that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just 3 weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled babbe com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. My next question is, you know, once someone has... You know, if someone's listening to this and maybe they grab one of your books or, you know, they they grab Pia Melody's book and they're like, oh, my God, this is me. What do you think is the first step that, that they should do?
0: Well, I think the first thing to do is to consider getting on an SLAA meeting, which they're all over the Internet now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I encourage people to use 12-step meetings now the way they do podcasts. Uh, Because, you know, historically, it used to be a hassle, you got to get up and go into a room full of strange people, and you don't know if you're at the right place, because they're in churches or schools. But now you can just log on. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Now you can log on and listen while you're doing dishes, or, you know, doing like some whatever, yoga stretches, um, and listen to as many as you can, and listen for the similarities. um, And start to read the literature and consider things like you know this is sort of a shameless plug, but on Saturday, October tenth, I'm doing a women's love addiction online workshop um, for eight hours. Uh, it's two hundred dollars, and it's from seven thirty in the morning till four thirty in the afternoon Pacific time. And I cover all of the basics of what is love addiction, what's the cycle. Um, There's experiential work, even though we do it online, and usually there are about like forty women from all over the world on this call, and we just have a really, you know, it's not exactly like fun and games; it's not a fun topic, but. The women are awesome that Mm -hmm. show up for this. And for many women, it's an intro to love addiction. Um, And it has them thinking, okay, I'm really going to commit to my recovery, or I'm going to find a therapist that can help me. Um, So anything you can do to start to unravel these patterns, but you can't do it in a vacuum. That that's the main thing I want to say is that nobody heals from sex or love addiction by themselves because it's a problem of isolation. You really need community in order to heal from these uh, what we would call behavioral addictions.
1: I'm glad that you said that because I think some people, you know, romanticize hyper independence and and think you know, mm-hmm. oh, well, there's so many books and there's so many podcasts and and things I can archived recordings and things I can do right. And I, and there's still shame and stigma around all addictions.
0: Right. Well, I would say, look, if we could get better just reading books and talking to ourselves, we would, Mm -hmm. but then there wouldn't be people like you and I, you know, out there trying to help people and have these conversations. And, um, there's something profoundly healing about having a witness, having someone who's just listening to you tell your story and you can't do that by yourself, So, it's essential that you have a community of concern. And, you know, you and I were talking just before we got started. And one of the things I was saying to you is that, um, you know, what woman do you know that doesn't have some modicum of love addiction or some kind of eating issue? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You know, it just seems to be part and parcel of being female today. Yeah. So, and I think that's also the power of getting into a group is that you realize, oh my God, these are beautiful, smart. Awesome women, and we're all struggling with the same thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's not like some freaky lonely person in a corner.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. it tends to be. You know, I tend to attract, um, especially in my private work, women who have, you know, maybe climbed the corporate ladder. They've been successful and accomplished in their work and their yeah. personal relationships, um, and maybe not currently, but they have a past kind of string of of relationships and it's the same patterns over and over again and and a lot of it comes down to shame and old wounding and I you know refer a lot of them out to to therapy many times but but it's it's pervasive and and mm-hmm. I think that um and I also love that you say that it's it's we're never done and I want to ask you about 2020, about COVID and about <sighs> Um, just the social unrest that we're seeing in this election cycle, I feel, is even more difficult than it was in 2016. And oh, yeah. I know for me personally and, and many of my listeners, just the last few years you know, with the Me Too movement and for me personally, the Kavanaugh hearings were especially difficult in the Brock Turner yeah. case. And we're seeing all these things and many of us being re-traumatized. Mm-hmm. Has your practice changed over the last handful of years or even in just 2020? What are you seeing that's different?
0: Well, I think more and more people are coming into treatment, which is really heartening. Therapists are very, very busy right now mm-hmm. because, like you said, you know when we are in silence when we 're in social isolation, all of a sudden, our issues are front row and center we can 't drink them away we can 't run and get distracted with an, you know a book club or a movie or a party um, we 're faced with ourselves and so I think that this is a time of accelerated, unbelievable change. And we have the opportunity as women, and I think that's what we're seeing on the political scene also, as women to start to step into our power. And that's why it's essential that we heal ourselves so that we become more integrated, more and, and that integration allows us to access our intuition, which constantly gets ignored, eradicated, denigrated. And that intuition is powerful, which is why you know it got quelched a long, long time ago. So as more women step into leadership positions, as more women say no more or time's up or whatever the slogan is. Um, and we start to take our place in the world, that I think is going to affect great change. And it may happen quietly because there are these massive grassroots movements now. I mean, all we see on the news is disaster and doom and gloom. But if you just look closely elsewhere, you start to hear stories of people in communities and neighborhoods gathering and rising up. And that's where we have to put our attention, not on the doom scroll.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with that. i'm I'm also really curious. You have an extensive background, and how did you get to this work specifically and and that's fine if you don't want to share anything too personal. but <laughs> <laughs> but did you start out in a different area and come to this work? How did this come to be?
0: No, I struggled with my own sex and love issues, okay. um you know, from a very young age, and my father cheated on my mother, mm-hmm. and I think my mother was an untreated partner, quite honestly. Uh, because they never resolve their differences, they divorce. The and untreated partner. Well, I think my father could have been sexually addicted or compulsive. I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. I do know that he cheated multiple times on her. And my father was a trauma survivor from World War II, um, and I write about this in one of my books about his trauma, not his sexual cheating on my mother. Uh-huh. So my mother was chronically angry and cold and distant, and. I didn't know that. I didn't know why she was angry all the time until much later in life, and she passed away a year ago, August. Mm. Um, So I got the whole story from her then. And so I subsequently struggled in relationships with, you know, men early, early on and didn't get married till I was 40 or 41 because of it. Um, and so when I was in graduate school, I was really interested in healthy sexuality. What did that mean? And how do people have sex and er- an erotic life over time in a long-term committed relationship? Because my parents' relationship ended and I had no compass for this at all. Yeah. And so when I went to find an internship, the only internship I could find was in treating something called sex addiction. This was 1998. And I read "Out of the Shadows," which was some sort of arcane book. Like title alone,
2: right? (laughs) Right. It sounds deviant,
0: deviant, right? (laughs) So I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." So I started working with men treating this problem, and we were getting a lot of people sexually sober at that time, abstinent. But there was no roadmap for how to be sexually healthy again, Mm -hmm. and. Through that process, that in 2010, I published my first book, Erotic Intelligence, which was meant to be a, a roadmap for people that were in recovery from sex addiction for how to start to um, reengage in sexuality in a healthy way, not in a, you know, problematic way. And so it was from there that I just kept evolving my interests into treating females into the underlying neurobiological mechanisms of sex addiction, attachment, breaches, et cetera, um, that that just, you know, had me following this uh, career trajectory.
1: Wow. I just love hearing about about people's background and how they got to, to be where they are. And it's very rare, I think, that anybody that I have on this show doesn't have some kind of personal you know, experience in, in the work sure. that they do. Um, just want to, just want to pop in Dr. Alex uh, Katahakis is at centerforhealthysex.com. And the last thing I want to ask you is about boundaries, because I, I think that your work heavily relies on, on teaching people boundaries and how can people assert healthy boundaries to have more equal relationships? I know that's like, okay, how much time do you have Andrea?
2: <laughs> right, summarize yeah. for us?
1: Um,
0: that's a tricky one because often, you know, female love addicts or sex and love addicts, um, you know, Pia Melody says that if you scratch the surface of any sex or love addict, you'll find a codependent and codependency, I, I conceive of as a trauma reaction that when a child lives in a household that's unsafe, they will learn very quickly how to accommodate to the adults to make sure that they're Okay. And so we learn to accommodate, and women are sort of accommodating by nature to males. Again, some of this is biologically encoded, um, but when it's done to an extreme where it's pathological, we erase ourselves. We give up ourselves constantly to accommodate the other. Mm -hmm. So learning to undo that is a form of strength training emotionally. And a book that I love is um, Melody Beatty's book, uh, The Language of Letting Go, which is a daily book of meditations for codependence that starts to give us permission to be angry, to say no, um, to be courageous, to set boundaries, and to tolerate our discomfort in the face of not Constantly people pleasing and accommodating. Um, so, learning first of all what a boundary is, and you know, Pia talks about internal boundaries, not just fences or doors, but internally, space between two people, whether you want to have a conversation or not, that you actually matter, that you have value, and that you have to take care of yourself first you've got to put your oxygen mask on first mm-hmm. before you can take care of someone else. And again, these are habits. They're learned behaviors and we can unlearn them and learn new ones. It's just a matter of practicing every day and being willing to be uncomfortable in order to grow the same way you are when you like take a first yoga class or learn a new language. There's always discomfort when we're learning something new.
1: I, I, yeah, I agree with that. And I, I talk about that too, that, that a lot of this work is like learning a a new language. Like you've been, I tell people you've been behaving the same way for decades. It is going to take practice and perseverance and, you know, two steps forward, three steps back sometimes for you Mm -hmm. to develop new patterns. And, and it's, um, it's lifelong work.
0: (laughs) But (laughs) but the good news is that it doesn't take decades to affect small change. Right.
1: Thank you for saying that. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Small change equals big results.
0: Yeah. In a year, you can transform your life. Yeah, You won't be perfect, but your life will be different if you really put as much time into your recovery as you do into obsessing about some guy who's not interested in you.
1: that's like a part-time job. Story, Dr. <laughs> <Right>? K. <laughs> if we put that's like Love Addicts Unite slogan right there. If we put as much <laughs> right. effort into changing our life for the better as we did the obsessing on some guy who doesn't give a shit about us, exactly our life change. I need to write that down and quote you in one in my next book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I, I just it's it's so I think there's so much freedom in starting to connect the dots. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I I'm wondering about people listening and they're having some light bulb moments, and they're every time I have a light bulb moment where I listen to a podcast episode or read a book where the expert is connecting the dots for me, I have a little bit of like that oh shit moment of, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the covers just got ripped off, you know, and I'm naked. And, and I just want to reassure everyone that that will pass. And the good news is, you know, the healing can begin. Right.
0: So somebody is listening right now and your anxiety might be going through the roof. Like, oh my God, I feel overwhelmed. I have so much work to do. And I want to encourage you to consider that in this moment, you are doing the work. This is the first step of the work. You've already arrived at the threshold. There's nothing more to do than just take in this conversation and say, Wow, I'm going to take a deep breath. And this is the first day of my recovery or healing process. Uh-huh. So stay present with what is, like you said, that feeling in your gut the overwhelm, the anxiety, the tears you might have listening to this and have self-compassion for where you've come from. And that, you know, this is, as they say, the first day of the rest of your life. Yeah.
1: I absolutely agree with you. So centerforhealthysex.com. There's so much to read on your site. I know I was on there just... Consuming all of the bullet points and nodding my head as I was reading, and and before we wrap up, is there anything that you didn't get a chance to say that you wanted to say before we close up?
0: Well, I just want to add that if people are interested in this one-day love addiction workshop, they can call um, our intake counselors right now at three ten. Eight four three nine nine zero two, And just call and have a conversation to see if it's actually right for you. Uh, but if you are, you can sign up um, at that time or call back or whatever. But that's the best way to find out about the Love Addiction Workshop on October 10th.
1: Okay. We can drop a link in the show notes too. And okay. so for Thanks. people who are listening to this after that date, is there a way that they can grab the recording or do you have those regularly?
0: Uh, well, the workshop won't be recorded for confidentiality sure. okay. reasons. Um, but yeah, I give them once a quarter. I think the last one was in June. Um, This will be the fall one. I wouldn't do it again, probably until
1: January. Okay. So just they can sign up for your newsletter to get that information. Okay. Thank you so much. And I am so grateful for everyone listening. You know how just honored I am that you choose to spend your time with us. And until next time, everyone, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.